Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We always appreciate those who convene crucial conversations, and Utah Valley University is holding one of those conversations today down on campus and virtually about addiction. And how do we actually help those that are struggling financially, mentally, emotionally? What are the warning signs we have to watch out for as it relates to suicide prevention? What do we need to do and what do we need to do differently when it comes to addiction? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. We're very pleased to be joined now by Richard Nance, who's a licensed clinical social worker, holds a master's degree in social work from Brigham Young University, and is part of an important event today. We talk about crucial conversations, and down at Utah Valley University today is one of those, their annual conference on addiction. And uh, Richard, thank you so much for carving out some time for us today. Sure, you bet. Uh, you've been part of two really important sessions. I know you literally just walked off the stage uh, from one of those, uh, talking right. talking about uh, intervention and suicide prevention. Uh, tell us a little bit about that session. Well, it's it's interesting. Um, it, it's now a requirement for behavioral health professionals in Utah to have this training for to get licensed and to have their licenses renewed. And it really hasn't been uh, a requirement. For as part of the training for drug and alcohol counselors, as long as I can remember. Um, so we've integrated this into the curriculum here in our drug and alcohol counseling certificate program uh, at UVU. And it's you're seeing more and more of this content um, being provided at conferences like these for license renewal. Yeah. So as you look at that, uh, and of course, as we as we look at uh, addiction and all the different aspects, uh, you've really looked at it closely now uh, in this particular event uh, in terms of the crisis intervention and suicide prevention. Uh, share with us some of the uh, some of the findings there and what are the, some of the things that we should be watching for uh, both as professionals. And we know this is also open to faculty members and students and others in the community. Right. Yeah, that's a pretty broad question. Um, the key uh, important data points I think that we needed to share with people is that folks with drug and alcohol issues are 10 times higher um, at risk to commit suicide or attempt suicide than the general population. They're at higher risk to make those attempts um, than the mental health treatment population. 
where most of the focus has historically been. And people who inject drugs are 14 times higher uh, at risk for suicide. And so it's really, really important for our folks to understand that, for drug and alcohol alcohol counselors to understand that and know how to assess for suicide risk and how to intervene and how to provide follow-up support. The other thing that I emphasize that isn't required in the training is that the staff who work in agencies that provide drug and alcohol treatment, when they lose a client to suicide, it's just devastating to them Mm -hmm. personally and professionally. And we continue to lose people from the profession um, when they've had folks on their caseload who they've been working with um, and su- investing a significant amount of emotional effort to have those folks die. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a tragedy, not just for the individual and their family, but for the staff members and the agencies that provide the care. Uh, and that, I'm so glad you raised that because so often we, we kind of skip across those that are providing counseling or, or critical services. And much as we saw during the pandemic where suddenly we were thinking about, wow, these doctors and nurses are, are really under immense pressure. And, and when, when a patient dies, that impacts them as well. What's happening within the profession in terms of uh, that kind of coping? You mentioned losing a lot of good professionals because that can be so devastating to, to lose a client or multiple clients. Um, what, what's being offered there in terms of support and, and making sure we're sustaining those that are out there helping those dealing with addiction? Well, that's what I was kind of trying to promote today was uh, for drug and alcohol treatment agencies, they need to have a systemic plan in place on how to deal with these problems when they occur and they inevitably occur. You know, I've already told you how high the rates are. Yeah. Um, so when it's happened in the past, when I was an agency administrator, we just did our very best to embrace the staff member uh, to the bosom of the program and provide as much support as we could. But it was more um, kind of on the spot, ad hoc, uh, sort of, um, you know, almost like workplace counseling yeah. um, to try to um help them through this because you can imagine the the shock and grief and loss and feelings of guilt and responsibility that yeah. some of these staff members have. So there needs to be a systemic way to uh, organize and provide that um, staff support in all agencies. And I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. Yeah, boy, that is such a, uh, a crucial conversation that we're. I just don't think we're having nearly enough. Uh, so I appreciate you raising that. I also wanted to spend just a, a second. You also uh, were part of a, a pre-recorded session. Uh, the event today down at Utah Valley University it was both live and uh, also virtual. Uh, but you also had one that really caught my eye in terms of kind of the money management uh, focus oh, yeah. on, on those. Give us just a little snapshot into that because most, you know, often we don't connect the dots on all of those things. That uh, that finances often uh, impact all of these things as well, right? Yeah, there's there's kind of a, a larger concept called recovery capital, and that's everything an individual has or needs to be able to flourish in recovery. Um, and one of the things that's been neglected and ignored too is a lot of folks, especially in publicly funded drug and alcohol treatment agencies. And these are folks without jobs, without insurance, right. you know, without any kind of family means to help pay for their treatment. Um, they come in and quite often they have 
uh, lost their jobs. They um, have gotten so disorganized in the throes of their addiction that they've not been able to keep track of, of their own bank accounts. It's expensive to uh, maintain a drug habit. Uh, I was talking to one young lady yesterday, and she was spending $150 a day on Oxycontin at the height of her addiction. So you over, you know, you blow through your credit card accounts, mm-hmm. you run up them up to the max, you start to overdraw your bank account, and you get cut off, right? Yeah. Um, but when you get into recovery and the treatment, especially if you go through the court system, one of the requirements is to graduate, you have to have a job. Well, how do you get paid these days? Electronic right. fund transfers, right? So if you don't have a bank account, where do you, where does that money go? Mm. Because it's almost impossible to get a paper paycheck anymore. So that's a huge um, obstacle for people in recovery who have uh, lost all their financial resources to uh, to actually succeed in recovery. So those are some of the concepts uh, that we taught. And um, yeah, that's really interesting. That was basically born out of some research we did uh, at Utah County Department of Drug and Alcohol Prevention and Treatment starting about five years ago. We've now had two articles, research articles published and a third in review for, for print that'll probably come out early next year. So uh, I think we've kind of broken some new ground here on introducing some concepts um, that need to be paid attention to. Again, just like the suicide and crisis support yeah. issue that um, we've missed in prior years. Yeah, so so important. These are such important conversations. And uh, uh, you start pulling on those threads a little bit and you start seeing uh, all these downstream and upstream issues that uh, happen in and around uh, addiction, and I just think those are, are vital. But the funding, the, the dollars and cents one is just so interesting because we never uh, really seem to be talking about that one. So I, I love that you're poking into that space as well. Uh, before mm-hmm. I let you race back into the the conference, uh, Richard, is there anything else that's coming up? Uh, I always love the conferences because it's the hallway conversations where you often get a lot of insight uh, into into things that are happening or things that maybe we should be talking about that were not. Anything else we should be thinking about in connection with the conference today yeah you're making me smile because i've had a couple of those already and we've only been going for two and a half hours i think one of the most important things is um we need more folks like me who are willing to um kind of branch out from the traditional treatment um work and get engaged in educating the up-and-coming workforce. One of the biggest problems that we have, not just in drug and alcohol treatment, but behavioral health in general, um, is we're undermanned and understaffed, and we don't have enough capacity in our academic programs to train enough people to fill the need. And um, there are a lot of folks who want to get into school, but there's just not enough capacity in school because we don't have enough people um competent, available, and willing to teach. Mm. And so even though I retired from county government two years ago, I've now got two teaching jobs. I teach at UVU, and I also teach at the University of Utah in their drug and alcohol program. So those of you who have some some academic wheels and some clinical experience, um, 
sign up to teach, please. Yeah, fantastic. Wonderful insight. Uh, Richard Nance, uh, we thank you uh, for joining us again. The conference uh, today, all afternoon, down at Utah Valley University, their conference on addiction. Uh, so many important conversations, so many great resources. Uh, Richard, thank you for your participation and your leadership in this really crucial space. And I look forward to having you back on again as we continue to track yeah, this. I'm proud to be here. All right, fantastic. Again, that's uh, Richard Nance joining us today. Great, great stuff. And those are those are such important conversations uh, that we have to get to. And uh, big thanks to Utah Valley University for convening uh, one of those conversations on addiction today. We'll continue to monitor that. We'll also talk about the president's phone call uh, with President Xi. We've got a readout now. We'll give you some insight in terms of what was discussed and what comes next. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.